great worship time we had today. I hope you're having a great Independence Day weekend. My name is, I'd like for you to imagine Sam, the pastoral care pastor here at Crossroads. I'd like for you to imagine something with me today. Imagine, and I hope this has never happened to you, but imagine that somebody brutally murdered your loved one. They were arrested, they confessed their crime, and then on the stand in court, they admitted that they were not sorry for what they had done. Then, somebody comes to you and says that you need to be merciful towards that person. What would you say? How would you respond? Or imagine, and I hope this has never happened to you, but imagine that somebody assaulted your daughter. They were arrested, they confessed to the crime, and then on the stand, they laughed about it. Then, somebody comes to you and says that you need to be merciful towards that person. How would you respond? What would you say? I know for me personally, I would blow a gasket. <laughs> right? I would be uh, like anger flowing out of me like a dam that was breached by a raging flood. How dare you tell me to be merciful? How dare you tell me to be merciful to somebody who doesn't deserve mercy? If you feel that way, I'm with you this morning. I'm with you. Now, most of us have not had egregious crimes like what I just described. But you know what it's like to be hurt by someone. You know the hurt. I, I, I don't know the hurt, but I trust that just about everybody in here, and I would guess everyone in here, has been hurt by someone else very deeply. And that's why Jesus' words are so very difficult. He says, be merciful just as your Father God is merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Hard words, difficult words, words that if we said them to one another are easy to say, but hard to live out. So I want you to know this morning that I feel your pain. I know your pain. And I am not gonna give you this morning some churchy pat answers about how to be merciful. Instead, what I wanna do is I wanna dive into the Bible. And I wanna see if there are any clues for how we could be merciful for those around us. And the first thing I would say is, is that our mercy flows from God's mercy. Our mercy flows from God's mercy. Now, my working definition for mercy over the years has been this. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. 
Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And in the Bible, God is shown and described as being merciful over and over again. The prophet Daniel is one of those who describes it. He says, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Even though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. We all here this morning have rebelled. We all have not completely obeyed God. We all have not completely followed his laws. We all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard of perfection. And the Bible says that what we deserve is not heaven, but punishment in hell. But here's the good news. Hear me, friends. Here's the good news. God is merciful. He poured out the punishment that should have been ours on Jesus when Jesus was on the cross. Jesus took our place. Jesus took our punishment. Our sins were laid upon him. And Jesus died a horrific death. But then as we just sung, on the third day, (laughs) on the third day, on that glorious Sunday morning, the lungs that had stopped on Friday started breathing on Sunday, and Jesus was alive, and Jesus is alive alive today so that everyone who puts their faith in Jesus, who calls out to him to be their savior, to save them from hell, to save them from the sins that they've committed, every single person that commits to Jesus as Lord, promising to follow him as the leader of their life, will receive God's mercy or receive the mercy of Almighty God. We will not get what we deserve. So when God calls us to be merciful, he is calling us to do something that he's already done for us. He's calling us to be merciful to others as he has been merciful to us. Now, hear this good news. God does not expect us just to flip a switch and go from not being merciful to being merciful. (laughs) God doesn't expect that. Rather, becoming merciful is a supernatural process. It's supernatural. And for that, I'm happy because it would take a supernatural process process for me to be able to forgive someone who brutally murdered my loved one. It would take a supernatural process for me to forgive and be merciful to someone who assaulted my daughter. 
But the Bible tells us that we have that supernatural power that lives within us, that when we cross the line of faith and put our faith in Jesus, something supernatural took place. God placed the Holy Spirit of God into us. The Holy Spirit of God lives in us. The supernatural already lives in us. And here are some of the benefits of the Holy Spirit living in us. That he produces fruit in us. Which is also translated love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is also translated patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So when you respond to love to those who do not deserve it, you are merciful. When you respond with gentleness to those who do not deserve it, you are being merciful. When you respond with kindness to those who don't deserve it, you are being merciful. When you respond with self-control to those who don't deserve it, you are being merciful. But again, this is a process, a supernatural process that God works in us. It's not something that we can just will ourselves to do. I'm just going to will myself to be merciful. It is not something that is just going to flip a switch and all of a sudden you are merciful by your own power. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us that we will be able to become merciful. So that's why we have to pray. We have to pray fervently for mercy. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit of God will unlock the closet that's in our lives where we've hidden love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all of the other fruit inside for that other person, that the Holy Spirit will unlock that closet and it will fill the whole house. We've got to pray that the Holy Spirit will unlock the closet that we have hidden mercy in and let it flood the whole house of our lives. Love. We've got to pray, to pray fervently for love, to pray fervently for peace, to pray fervently for the fruit of the Spirit. I want to keep it real. When I pray, even when I pray fervently, I don't always get immediate results. Let's keep it real. I'm sure something has happened because the Holy Spirit, God answers prayers, but I don't see it always. Sometimes I get a partial response. But that's because for me, 
Mercy is a journey. It is a journey. Developing mercy within me takes time. See, for me, mercy is like a roller coaster. <laughs> Sometimes I'm at the top and I'm merciful towards the other person and then other times I'm in the valley and I don't have any mercy whatsoever. So I'm up and I'm down, I'm up and I'm down in the process, but when the Holy Spirit is working within me, the process changes from this to this. I'm not saying there still aren't some little lows, but there's still that process where the Holy Spirit changes me. There are going to be days when you don't feel mercy towards the other person. Recognize those barriers. Be kind to yourself when you're feeling that way. And then let the Holy Spirit take it from there. Pray fervently. I want to tell you this morning a story of a journey of mercy that I was on. It happened several years ago, and I'm not going to share all the details because I don't want to cross over into gossip. Um, when I got out of seminary, I was uh, placed in a church as an associate pastor. It was, to me, a large church. There were a 1,000 people on the weekend. We had four services, one on Saturday, three on Sunday morning, and it took a lot of staff to care for that many people. An event happened, or actually several events happened, where unconfessed and unrepentant sin happened between two staff members. When the leadership found out, their deep desire was that they would be reconciled and there would be restoration for them. And the leadership was willing to work through the biblical plan of restoration with them in that encounter. But when we went to them, lied about it. It was un first unconfessed, and then eventually they confessed it, but said it wasn't a sin. And the leadership felt that they had no other course to take than to fire them. A firestorm broke out in the church because these two staff members were dearly loved. I loved them. And because the leadership decided not to share the details that they had been revealed, that had been revealed to them and they had proof of, because they decided to keep it quiet, what the details were, they became the enemies, especially because the other two staff members were spreading their story far and wide. The leadership became the villains. I became a villain because I was on leadership and was one of the staff members was um, I supervised. 
and I was in on the one-on-one conversations that we had with them, and I was in the meetings where it was finally painfully decided that we had to fire them. I became the villain. I became one of the villains. I remember in the gym of the church, one of the staff members came at me very angrily, yelling, cursing. I thought I was going to get beat up. And as you could see, I'm not the rock. (laughs) I would have been beat up. (laughs) I thought I was going to be in pain. One woman came into my office unannounced and said she had a gift for me. She handed me an ordinary stone. Okay, a gift, a stone, and then she quoted Jesus, he who is without sin cast the first stone. In other words, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was judging them for what they did. I got all sorts of anonymous letters ripping me up one side and down the other, and one of them said that they were watching me all of the time. They were watching me, just waiting for me to mess up. I was so paranoid that I was afraid to go out to lunch with my cousin, my female cousin, because I was afraid the rumor would start that I was having an affair with my wife. It was a very painful time for me. And feelings like rage and anger and fear and anxiety and confusion and so forth washed over me. And I'm not proud to say this, but eventually hatred started to form. Thoughts of revenge started going through my mind. And this thing went on and on and on. And after three months, I knew I needed to do something because I was not in a good place. So, I realized that my feelings were hurting me more than they were hurting them. I needed to do something about it, so I took some time off, three days off, and I went on a personal retreat. I went to a cabin that had no TV, no radio. I decided that I was going to follow what the Bible says, and I was going to fast, just drinking water and juice and tomato juice for three days. I'll be honest, I slept a lot, because I was exhausted, I think, and because I wasn't eating as much. I spent a lot of time searching through the Bible, looking for answers. I spent time praying. I spent time walking. I spent time just thinking about it. And it wasn't until near the end of the second day that I got my answer. Judas. Judas was my answer. 
Judas, as you know, was one of the 12 disciples. He was one of the inner circle that um, heard things, heard Jesus teach things that the masses didn't hear, saw Jesus do things that the masses didn't see. He ate with Jesus for three years. He did day-to-day activities with Jesus for three years. He was close to Jesus in the inner circle. But listen to what Judas did. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas. And they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or they may, there may be a riot among the people. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver Jesus over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. For money, for money, Judas decided to find a time that Jesus was alone so that they could arrest him, put him through a mockery of a trial, and eventually kill him. All for money. Now remember this. Jesus is God, and he knew this was going to happen. In fact, it was foretold in the Old Testament. He knew it was going to happen. So when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. Jesus knew, because he was God, or is God, that he was going to be betrayed. And he knew who was going to betray him. Now, if it was me, Judas would have never made it through the door of that room. If it was me, Judas would have never been allowed to sit down at the same table. I would have told him to get. Did I say that right? I'm from the north. (laughs) I would have told him to get out of there. But Jesus' mercy showed through. He did not give him what he deserved. The Apostle John described the event a little differently. You know how two people can be in the same place 
and describe it differently because they see it from different perspectives or have different information. This is what John wrote. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is John, by the way, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one thought Jesus was but no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Jesus knew what Judas was about to do, and yet this is what he says. What you're about to do, go and do quickly. Now, if it was me, if it was me in this situation, I would have not have responded so politely. At that point, I would have told him to get the blank out. That's not one of the blanks you're going to fill in. <laughs> I would have told him to get the blank out. But the mercy of Jesus showed through. He did not give Judas what he deserved. After the supper, Jesus and now the 11 went to a place where they could be alone and they could pray. They went to a normal place that they usually went. They went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says this, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. One I kissed, the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Jesus said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. Again, I would not have responded like Jesus did. I would not have allowed him to kiss me on the cheek. In fact, when he got close enough, I would have punched him in the kisser, <laughs> right? I would not have called him friend. I can think of a lot of other names I would have called him, but I would not have called him friend. But again, 
Jesus' mercy shows through. He does not give him what he deserves. Now, I'm no Jesus, but I came away from that retreat changed. When I read about how Jesus was merciful to his enemies, I spent the rest of the weekend, or the rest of the, that, that night and the third day, praying that the Holy Spirit would develop mercy in me. I prayed for the supernatural to happen in me so that I could have mercy for the, those two staff members and I could have mercy for the people who attacked me. I am not going to give you a fairy tale ending. Mercy is a journey. And after those three days, I was like this, but I kept praying for the supernatural until it became like this. I don't know who hurt you. I don't know what you have gone through. But I believe that the Holy Spirit can produce peace in you. I believe that mercy as hard as it is, can be found in you. And you will then be able to experience the beatitude, the beautiful tude. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You will be blessed. Now we're going to go into a time of prayer and we're going to do something differently than what we usually do. And I'm not saying what we usually do is wrong. It's great. I love it. But we're going to do something different this morning. We're going to spend time in silent prayer so that it can be just you and God. Just you and the God who loves you. Some of you may need to pray for God's mercy because you have not yet crossed the line of faith. Maybe what you need to do is to cry out and ask Jesus to be your Savior. Ask Him to save you from hell, to save you from your sins, and promise to follow Him as the leader of your life for the rest of your life. Maybe you need to call out for God's mercy this morning. Or maybe, as I've been giving this message, you have had a name or names of people that have come through your mind that you're struggling having mercy for. Maybe this is the time that you pray for the Holy Spirit to unlock those closets and fill your whole life with the fruit of the Spirit with mercy. And if you need to, go back to your outline and look at the fruit of the Spirit and choose one or two and pray for those to be unleashed in your life. Or maybe your prayer that you need to pray today has nothing to do with what I said today. Maybe what's on your heart, you need to just speak 
And that's okay. God loves you and needs to hear that prayer. The altar is open. You can come and you can stand. Or if you can stand it, you can kneel on the concrete. (laughs) But the altar is open if you want to come. But let's now go into a time of praying to God in silent prayer.